episode two of Cookies, Coffee, and Crime. That's right. And I'm Jenny Goodemo, Executive Director of Wood Library, and... I'm Carrie Magnum, the Circulation Supervisor. Yeah, so uh, we're going to talk about cookies first. Sure, yeah. As it always should be. Yeah, let's start off with that. All right, so if you're new to this podcast, um, we have a very uh, fond love for cookies and coffee, and then uh, an interest in true crime, which is... Uh, kind of the format of the show. Uh, so Crumble Cookies always has a different uh, menu every week. And so we are being surprised with... Ooh, that one looks good. I got to smell it. It's got red topping. Strawberry? Strawberry. Yep. Oh, no, or raspberry. Mm. I think it's raspberry. I think it's raspberry, too. Let's try it. Yes. Let's go for it. All right. Let me tell there it is. Yep. Do you feel like you need to take a piece with some of the white frosting on it? Um, yeah, maybe I'll take this corner piece here. Okay, hope it's not peanut butter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> that would make for an interesting podcast. All right. Mm. Oh, it is really good. All right, so what is it? It's raspberry. Well, <laughs> what the rest of it? <laughs> it's a cookie. Mm. <laughs> This is really good. That topping is so good. I'm trying to identify it. What kind of cookie is it though? Is it just is like a sugar cookie? With like raspberry? Oh, raspberry butter. Okay. Yeah, raspberry butter cake. Yeah, that's good. Wow, that raspberry topping is so rich. Yeah, it is. Really good. Which is why you should be drinking coffee with your cookies. Yeah, speaking of coffee. Um, so what are you, you're drinking, uh, are you have a chai today? Is that what we're drinking? I'm actually drinking water. Water? Okay. <laughs> wrong I had my tea this morning, yeah, everybody. Yeah. I mean, I can drink coffee like morning and noon or night. So uh, I have vanilla sweet cream cold brew from Starbucks, which is another one of my go-tos. So yeah, tastes great with this. Did you know I used to work at Starbucks? Uh, I had I may have mentioned it once yeah, or twice. Yeah, you mentioned that. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Um, all right, so... Uh, I guess now that you have your mouth full of cookies, I'll have you start <laughs> about Patty Hearst. Thank you. Yeah. And then I get to eat my cookie while you talk. <laughs> okay, so as we mentioned in our last episode, uh, we are going to be discussing the case of, uh, of Patty Hearst. So we have some, uh, my research I did, um, I wanted to read some contemporaneous magazines. So these are from... Uh, this Time magazine is from April 29th, 1974. This one's from September 29th, 1975. So this one would have been when she was still held captive, and this is after her release. Uh, but we'll talk a little bit about her story. Um, so she actually likes to go to by Patricia. That's what I've heard. Mm-hmm. She prefers that. So I'm going to try to call her Patricia, which sounds a lot more formal. But then, I don't know. We'll see. Patty flows a little bit better, I think. It does. Yeah. Do you think... Patricia Hearst is going to listen to our yeah. podcast yeah. and be insulted. We didn't call her by the way. Right. I don't know. Okay. So anyways, Patty was born. Um, she's a granddaughter of William Randolph Hearst, who was sort of a Rupert Murdoch of his time. And mm-hmm. he was very influential, owned a lot of journalistic, he owned newspapers and magazines. She was the third of five daughters of one of William Randolph Hearst's son. Um, and uh, grew up in a very wealthy part of San Francisco, had a very privileged upbringing, um, and 
was a sophomore at Berkeley. She was studying art history, and she was living with her fiance at the time. His name was Stephen Weed. They were living together, and she was kidnapped on February 4th, 1974. They broke into um, her apartment, or their townhouse, and um, beat Stephen Weed up, beat him up, and then Patty was kidnapped, and then her story begins with the SLA. So, you know, this happened so long ago, a lot of people maybe don't know a whole lot about her or what the SLA uh, was. Um, it's not really around much anymore. But the SLA was a group um, that was formed in the Berkeley area. They had goals of, you know, equality, prison reform, uh, but they were extremely violent, you know, outrageous or anything. They were really upset about that. They thought that was... Um, kind of a fascist thing to do. Mm -hmm. Whereas the school superintendent's position was they were having some issues with gang yeah. violence on their campus, so they wanted to make sure that the people on campus were school students. That's why they were gonna issue student IDs. So anyways, that was the SLA's first um, political act. And uh, believe it or not, there is still a member of the SLA in prison today for that murder. He's oh really? Yeah, so it's kind of hard to believe. He's the only SLA member that is currently in jail Jail for decades. So, um, is it life imprisonment? It wasn't. It was a 25 years to life. Okay. He's been in there more than 25 years. So he, uh, but has been denied parole many times. Okay. So, um, yeah, not sure about that. So anyway, she's kidnapped uh, February 4th, 1974, and is really um, tortured. I mean, she's held uh, in solitary confinement. She's held in a closet. She's um, threatened with death daily. Um, they threatened to hang her from the ceiling. They threatened her with um, all kinds of terrible things. Um, she experienced a lot of uh, really traumatic experiences while she was held um, by the SLA. And she was initially the SLA's plan for her was to hold her and then exchange her for the two people that were in prison for um, this murder of the Oakland school superintendent. They also used her um, her family connections to do like food distribution, uh, which was moderately successful. Um, but anyways, in, in April of 1974, she um, sort of joined the SLA. Oh. So yeah, okay. so it's interesting because I think a lot of people and are And you like, said she was kidnapped when again? She was kidnapped in February of 1974. Okay. So, um, I think there's been a lot of um, confusion or a lot of um, questioning why she joined the SLA. Mm -hmm. Like, what did she join them because she agreed with their political positions? Like, mm -hmm. she wanted to. Like, maybe she didn't have a choice. She or she felt like she didn't have a choice. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of people just believe that she was a victim of Stockholm syndrome. Mm -hmm. Did somebody say <laughs> Stockholm syndrome? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> And so, um, you know, it's interesting to think about whether the kind of conditions that she lived through while she was being held hostage um, would, would cause her to become a victim of Stockholm Syndrome. I think a lot of people wonder about that. Gotcha. Well, I jokingly said Stockholm Syndrome <laughs> because actually I'm going to talk about the case that defined Stockholm Syndrome. So do you know anything about that case? I know, you're eating your cookie. You're not off the hook yet. <laughs> I wasn't sure if you knew much about it. I know a little bit, but um, why don't you share a little bit more okay. about it? 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I uh, researched this case and um, history.com mm-hmm. was a great, sure. great yeah. resource. Mm-hmm. Uh, so on August 23rd, 1973, um, an escaped convict named uh, Jan Eric Olson, mm-hmm. uh, he failed to return to prison after furlough for a three years uh, sentence for grand larceny. So, um, you so know, he was furloughed for like a, like a weekend or something? Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. Yeah. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, they get vacation time mm-hmm. and... In prison? Yeah, okay. they, they let him out for a little bit. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then he didn't come back. Okay. And decided to um, rob a bank. Oh, okay. <laughs> and so the bank that he chose was, uh, I'm probably gonna mispronounce this, um, so, because this is all Swedish, mm-hmm. um, is Servages Credit Banken. Okay. Tell a <laughs> so, local credit union or something, right? Yeah, or, local yeah, bank. Yeah. It's one, actually one of the largest banks in okay. Stockholm. Yeah. So he he um, entered the bank with a loaded shotgun, or a loaded, I should say, machine gun. Okay. Uh, he fired at the ceiling. Wow. And he disguised his voice as American, which I thought was very interesting. He cried out in English, the party has just begun. So he wounded a police officer who was responding to a silent alarm, mm-hmm. and then he took four bank employees hostage, and it was three women and one man, and they retreated to the bank vault. And um, his demands were more than $700,000 in Swedish and foreign currency, a getaway car, and the release of Clark Olofsson, who was serving time for armed robbery and for acting as an accessory in the 1966 murder of a police officer. Like, did they know each other in prison or something? Yes, that, yep. Right. So, what do you think the police did? Um, do you think they gave in to his demands? No, I don't think so. I'm going to predict no. Within hours, the police delivered on his demands. <laughs> <laughs> except for the demand okay. uh, to leave ready. with all the hostages in tow to ensure a safe passage. That's so, they gave him all the money. Yeah, they gave him a getaway car, and I think the getaway car was actually a Ford Mustang. So, like, <laughs> it was like in style, like getaway okay. car in style. Wow. Um, and they brought him his friend from prison. Okay. <laughs> that just seems strange. I mean, yeah. I don't know. I, I would. But I, they refused to give in to him being able to leave with the hostages. Okay. Um, so, of course, even as for today, like in today's world. You know, anytime something like this happens, it's all over the TV. Right. TV, right. internet, whatever. I mean, obviously it wasn't internet back in 1973, but like people were glued to their TVs wondering what was going to happen with this hostage situation. Um, so Olson, um, his benevolent acts curried the sympathy of his hostages. So this is the beginning of the discussion of Stockholm Syndrome of why uh, or where this actually came from. So one hostage was shivering, and she said she had a really bad dream. So Olofsson gave her his jacket, okay. and then he gave him a bullet from his gun as a token, you know, just something to, to calm her down and as a keepsake. Uh, Thoughtful. Yep. Yeah. And then he consoled another hostage when she couldn't reach her family. She was trying to call her family. And he kept telling her, you know, try again. Don't give up. Try, yeah. Keep trying to call your family. So he was supportive. He was house. very supportive, yeah. Um, and then with... When another hostage complained of claustrophobia, he allowed her to walk outside the vault uh, attached to a 30-foot rope. So she was essentially wearing a leash, but yeah, she was she able was to able walk to around. Space. Yep. Um, and she says that she remembers thinking he was very kind to allow me to leave the vault. Mm-hmm. 
So instead of thinking like, why are they doing this to me and keeping me in this fault, it was more like, oh, he's so thoughtful. He let me walk around outside on a leash. Right, right. Um, Then by the second day, the hostages were on a first name basis with their captors. And then they started to actually fear the police more than their abductors. Um, the police commissioner uh, went in to inspect the hostages' health just mm-hmm. to make sure everyone was still feeling okay. Um, and the captives actually appeared more hostile to the police officers and more jovial with their captors. So how long were they in the bank vaults, I mean, all together? Uh, I think it was, what did they say, 130 hours? Oh, wow, okay. Yeah. Um, so, so that's like five days, like over five days? That's is that what it equals? Right? Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. Yep. Yeah. No, you're five right. Five and a half days? Yep, five days. Because that was on August 28th that they were able to escape. Spoiler alert. Okay. <laughs> you weren't supposed to know that part. No, yet. No. <laughs> Jumping ahead. No. I mean, one of the hostages even called the prime minister. Oh, wow. A Sweden begging to leave with the mm-hmm. um, the guys in the, in the yeah. getaway car. Yeah, yeah. Um, Olsen even threatened to shoot another hostage in the lake to shake up the police because mm-hmm. the police were getting convinced, oh, they're not going to hurt the hostages. Right, right, right. But so he started thinking, well, maybe I should shoot one of them just mm-hmm. to show them how serious I am. Okay. Um, but then that hostage thought, well, isn't that so nice that it was only going to be my leg? You know, that I mean, that was the type of... So they were really, they were identifying with him at that point. Yes. They were, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so as I was kind of hinting at, there was no physical harm done to the hostages. Mm-hmm. And on the night of August 28th, so again, like 30, 130 hours later, yeah. the police pumped tear gas into the vault. Okay. And then the perpetrators were quickly, quickly surrendered. Uh, the police called for the hostages to come out first, but the hostages refused. They instead crowded around the two guys, embraced them, kept them safe because they were really afraid that the police were going to try to take them out. Mm-hmm. So the hostages were protecting their captors. Right. Um, everyone was confused by this, the public, the police, like how, how is this happening that mm-hmm. these people who they thought were terrorized in this bank vault right. are now protecting the very people that did this to them. Right. And the captives were confused too. The hostages were just as confused. Like why, why do I feel the sense of, I guess, responsibility mm-hmm. or um, yeah. fondness toward my captors? <clears throat> So psychiatrists compared this behavior to the wartime shell shock exhibited by soldiers and explained that the hostages became emotionally indebted to their abductors and not the police for being spared death. So within months of the siege, psychiatrists dubbed the strange phenomenon Stockholm Syndrome. Interesting. And uh, even after Olofsson and Olsen returned to prison, the hostages made jailhouse visits. So they continue to go visit them. Um, an appeals court overturned Olofsson's conviction, but Olsen spent years behind bars before being released in 1980. So that's where Stockholm Syndrome comes from. That's interesting. That's um, interesting. Um, you use this term emotionally indebted. I think that's interesting because I wonder if that's, I mean, we haven't talked about like whether you think Patty Hearst had Stockholm Syndrome. I mean, I certainly think she probably did. Yeah. Although I also think that um, she just was going to do whatever it was to stay alive because yeah. they really were. Uh, you know, she spent two months in a closet, mm-hmm. unfolded. She had threats of execution daily. 
Um, they were going to hang her from the ceiling. She was totally cut off from the outside world. She had no, the only people in her world at that time were the people that were screaming at her about the SLA and about their goals. You know, eventually she's, she's given a little bit more freedom. Um, when she was first kidnapped, she was blindfolded. So she couldn't see anybody else. Then they take the blindfolds off and um, she's able to see the other members of the group. And, and she's, you know, maybe in some ways she feels like she's spared. She's not going to be killed. Mm -hmm. And maybe she does feel this, you know, connection to this group. But I definitely think that, um, you know, I think if, I mean, I think about myself and I'm like, if I was kidnapped and held in the closet for two months, I would do everything I could to get out of there alive. Yeah, yeah I mean, right. I would want to see my family again. So I do you think she had or do you think she was faking it? Just, I mean. I don't know. Because did she ever mention that um, they showed X a kindness toward her at all? Did um, she ever mention that? Yeah, I mean, well, I guess, I don't know if she mentioned that, right? But I, one of the things that really surprised me doing this research was how long she was actually gone, mm -hmm. how long she'd been kidnapped. Because before I started doing this, I thought it was, I don't know, a couple months. months. Yeah. yeah. It was actually like a year and a half. So, I mean, she did develop relationships with the people in this group. And yeah, I mean, they were living, she was living with members of the group, like in Pennsylvania, which was, I mean, maybe 150 miles from where we are right now. Yeah. So they were living together and, you know, having friendships. So I don't know, I'm conflicted because it's like, now was she really, was she doing these things just to stay alive or at that point? Maybe in the beginning. Yeah. yeah. You know, and then, I mean, you're right, a year or yeah. a little bit more than a year. Yeah. That's a long time. It was 571 days. Yes. Yeah. You probably begin to think this is your life now and yeah. you yeah. just, you know, go along with it. Right, right. So I don't know. I mean, I definitely think that uh, from what I've read about her when she was kidnapped, um, she wasn't especially political. Like she wasn't, there was a lot of things happening in the Berkeley area in the early 70s, early to mid 70s. Um, she and her fiance were not political. They were not involved in mm -hmm. political organizations. And I think the SLA was actually surprised that they were able to kind of convert her over into yeah. their group. I mean, I hesitate to even call it a group. It was this sort of gaggle of really violent um, people who I think they were surprised that she yeah. she sort of joined them. Now, did they kill anyone else after the superintendent? Uh, so they they did actually. Um, so there was a very famous bank robbery. Um, nobody was killed in this, but this was kind of the famous picture of Patty Hearst in the bank robbery. And then there was so the SLA kind of went through two different um, groups, right? So the original most of the original members of the SLA were killed in a shootout with LA police officers um, in 1974. Um, Patty and a couple other members uh, were not at the house when they had that shootout, so they survived and they mm -hmm. kind of went on a run and um, they sort of reformed almost and um, committed some other crimes in California, one of which included another, was, there was another bank robbery and a woman named Myrna Opsel was killed in that bank robbery. Mm -hmm. And um, also were planting bombs underneath police cars. So nobody was killed from that. Um, but the Myrna Opsel case is interesting because um, there were some SLA members 
that were on the run in, still into the late 90s and 2000s, and that was, they were found and they were tried for her murder. Uh -huh. So okay. uh, most of them served some jail time. Patty Hearst did not serve any jail time. She, she was a, a cooperating witness with the prosecution. But she, Patty Hearst actually was convicted for her role in this bank robbery, the first bank robbery, and was sentenced to prison after she was released. She was, she was, they found her, um, let me go back. So she's kidnapped, she's on the run, she's um, caught in May of 1975, I believe it was May. I'd have to look back at my notes, but they then, um, she's charged um, for the crimes that she committed while she was a member of the SLA. Mm -hmm. And she was sentenced to prison. Jimmy Carter um, commuted her sentence, and then she received a full pardon from Bill Clinton. Okay. So she's her basically her complete. She has a, a clean slate as far as any crimes that she committed. But she did. She was a witness in this case that from the early two thousands. Um, so the SLA was, you know, they were a violent group. They were mm -hmm. not afraid to um, obviously to kidnap people to to achieve their means or kill people. They were they were definitely a violent group. Mm -hmm. Now, did they target her specifically? So it's interesting because they, so after they murdered the Oakland school superintendent mm -hmm. and two of their SLA members were arrested for the murder, they were thinking about um, kidnapping a famous, quote, famous person. Okay. And they were coming up with lists of people to potentially kidnap and hold for ransom to get, mm -hmm. you know, they would release, if they released the SLA prisoners, then the SLA would release whoever they kidnapped. And um, it just so happened that um, Patty Hearst's um, engagement announcement to Stephen Weed was in the paper, oh. and it also mentioned their address. Oh. And so, you know, the SLA was like, "Hey, like she's she's a you know somebody who's uh, has a background. Her family has a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Like she would be a really high profile um, person to kidnap." And they couldn't have made it any easier because they published her address yeah, in the right. newspaper. So, um, so that was they they decided. But they never accepted a ransom for her, right? Or they really so wanted they, their SLA member out, he, of the, out of prison? Yeah, that was part of it. And then they used her to do some food distribution. Um, they they wanted, I want to say it was seventy dollars for every person um, in in the Berkeley San Francisco area. Maybe it was the state of California who had either a like a benefits card or they were, oh. you know, they were, they had this list and they wanted like, you know, good quality meat. They had all these requirements. And so um, Patty Hearst's family really tried to acquiesce to these demands and they had these food distributions, which were a little bit chaotic. Mm -hmm. They ended up being sort of like at the end, people, the people that were distributing the food were just like, yeah, yeah, it was yeah, like yeah. there were so many people who wanted this food, and um, and then you know her father, the SLA continued to make these demands, and, they, and her father was like, "Look, we're doing all these things, like, and where is she?" Mm -hmm. um, and and then surprisingly, she sort of showed up in a bank. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which was, I think was shocking, and yeah. Um, but again, I mean, I I just tend to believe she did that to stay. That's my own personal take on it. What do you think? I don't know. At the same time, was that gun loaded when she was in the It bank? was loaded. Mm -hmm. I mean, she could have easily taken out. She could have. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, the one of the bank or one of the um, 
in the bank employees or security guards said she was she was definitely part of that bank robbery. She wasn't just standing there like, mm -hmm. um, hey, I'm just sort of yeah. telling me what to do. Yeah. She was an active part in that yeah. robbery. Yeah, which makes me think that she was like hypnotized, I guess, in a way, yeah. you know? Yeah, just, yeah, yeah. It just doesn't, it just seems like if you had that opportunity, you would have taken it. Yeah. I think a lot of people are like, you were on the run for a year and a half, like why didn't you? Yeah. Why wouldn't you try to escape? I mean, that was another thing that was surprising to me was like, I just assumed this all happened in California, mm -hmm. right? And they ended up, uh, Patty and other SLA members ended up in New York City. Mm -hmm. They were there, then they came to Pennsylvania, then they made their way back to California. So, I mean, again, I think a lot of people look at that case and think, I mean, you could just, you know, you could, at any point, you could have just walked into a police station, yeah. or really yeah. anywhere, and been yeah. like, hey, I'm Patty Hurst, yeah. and people would have been like, okay, mm -hmm. let's, you know, you could have just walked away from it, so. I don't know, again, I mean, reading her autobiography, I mean, it's just the, the trauma that she experienced in the first couple months of her kidnapping is just, I don't, I don't know if, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't think we could ever really judge someone, because we're right. not in that situation. Right. You don't really know what it's like until you're in it. Right, exactly. You don't know how you're going to react to certain situations. So, yeah, yeah um, sure. I mean, I, I can understand though that if it started with her just wanting to survive and then it turned into, um, like you said, friendships and yeah. like this was your family now. Yeah, yeah. And then doing what you needed to survive just within that group. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely think Stockholm Syndrome is a possibility, a strong possibility. Yeah. I guess because I kind of been like, can you actually be friends with somebody who kidnapped you? Like, like that, well, that, yeah, that, that's where my, my yeah, case I came mean, from. I yeah, mean, it's, it seems... You're hanging out in a bank vault for five days. Yeah, but I mean, they made this connection within days. Yeah, like, you know, yeah, probably hours. Yeah, yeah, so... So I, so I wonder if it's it happened with Patty. It just took yeah. longer, but they had her longer, yeah. too. yeah, yeah. You know, they started off, uh, I mean, I don't know what, like, everything that happened within that bank vault, but to me, for that turnaround to happen so quickly, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they were treating them with respect and dignity right, right. off the bat. Right. And it probably took a little bit longer because they were scaring her and terrorizing right. her. And right. then maybe it all of a sudden turned into, right. hey, we're not so bad. Look, we're, we're treating you kindly. Yeah, and, yeah, exactly. And then maybe she began to change too. Yeah, very possible, very possible. Like you said, I mean, we, we can't know um, what, what other people go, you know, what they go through and how that affects them. I mean, I, uh, I think she had a really traumatic time and then it sounded, from what I'm reading, I mean, it's hard to believe that she could be gone for that long. Cause just when you think about our time now, it's yeah. like with, you know, cameras everywhere mm -hmm. and instant news is, is instant now. Like in 1974, 1975, it was a huge story. It was like, where is she? Yeah. You could not find her anywhere. So. I mean, it's a big country, so she was, she I went from coast to coast. Yeah, I mean, you're at a farmhouse in Pennsylvania. They had no idea she was there. Mm -hmm. So anyways, it was a really interesting case to read about and to rediscover. So mm -hmm. yeah, I, I definitely, I would I would say that she has Stockholm Syndrome. It's kind of my, mm -hmm. my take on it. Yeah, I would agree with you. Great. There you have it. Yeah. We agreed on the cookie. Yeah. <laughs> we agreed on the crime. Yep. Not yeah. so much the coffee. <laughs> I'm going to try to get you to drink some coffee no, it's all right. during this podcast. I'd be drinking like a frappuccino or something <laughs> loaded up with sugar so I can taste the coffee. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think that was like 800 some calories probably for that drink. 
Yeah, it's totally worth it though. Yeah. But all of Starbucks drinks are pretty much up there in terms of calories. Yeah, that's why I drink the cold brew because the cold brew is like five calories. Even if you get a Trenta, which I... And then you can have a 500 calorie couple cookie. <laughs> I'm saving all my calories for the cookies. Yeah, so, that's yeah, smart. Which is a good trade-off, I think. Yeah. So. All right. Yeah, this was a lot of fun talking yeah. crime and cookies and coffee. So, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, so we're thinking about ideas for our next podcast, like another another person or another crime to investigate. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, stay tuned. We're still figuring it out. <laughs> all right, thank you. Bye.